0: These are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up. Strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. For they are worthy. The one who is victorious will, like them, be dressed in white. I will never blot out the name of that person from the book of life, but will acknowledge that name before my Father and his angels. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to
1: God. Thank you, Victoria. So here we are, um, letter number five to the, dif- to the churches. We've had, if you've been f- tracking with us, you'll be aware we've been going through the letters in Revelation. Letters that were re- recorded and written by John, St. John, but were kind of given to him in a trance by Jesus. So these are letters Jesus writing to these different churches across what is now kind of Turkey. Um, fascinating history. Of each of those places, different challenges, different problems they're facing, persecution, compromise, um, heretical teaching in the midst of them. And so we come to Sardis, and uh, it's a different kind of message. So what I want us to do is something a little bit unusual. As we start, we've prayed, but I'd like you to all close your eyes and just still your heart for a few minutes. And just sit as quietly and still as you can, just to be in the moment. (laughs) <laughs> i mean that wasn't as loud as it could have been i didn't want someone to give you a heart attack i was a bit of a concern um ravelli used to wake up the troops to get them going uh, that's kind of the american version which is probably the most famous one and this letter is that to the church in sardis i know your deeds you have a reputation for being alive but you're dead wake up <laughs> um wake up that's probably something that lots of church leaders often want to shout at their church Uh, Or possibly that a lot of the church want to shout at their church leader. Probably works both ways, doesn't it? This letter is a letter urging the church to wake up. And so this talk is entitled, Revive, Wake Up. So a bit about Sardis. Sardis, it was founded around 1200 BC. So an ancient city. uh, And it had a really kind of illustrious past, this place. It had been an incredibly prestigious city, incredibly affluent. um, And it commanded a kind of main, it was on a main trade route. Um, and had grown like seriously rich. This was a city that was known for its wealth, particularly coming from the clothing industry. It was famous for the clothing industry, which is interesting that Jesus talks about that illusion at the end of having some of you have soiled your clothes, but God wants to give you kind of white clothes. Um, but it was well known for its wo- woolen garments, and it became the s- capital of the small kingdom in that area at the time that was called Lydia. Uh, and it was famous, some of you will know this name, for a, um, a, for a king. Croesus? Have you heard people talk about being as rich as Croesus? Uh, uh, it's a phrase that I've heard people talk about, and he was fabled for his wealth. was like a rich, rich king that was from this city. Um, and it's actually been suggested by a lot of historians that coins were first adopted actually in this city, that coinage as a, as a, co- a, as a kind of concept, first came out in this place of wealth. So there's a lot of money. Interestingly also, it's the region, the area that the um, King Midas, you know the fable of King Midas, everything he touched turned to gold, came from here as well. And it's it's like Sardis is known for this place, that whatever people touched turned to gold. There was so much wealth there, there so much affluence. um, But partly because of that, became incredibly insular, materialistic and self-sufficient and proud. That's what the city was known for had this, m- I mean, I've showed you some, when some of the pictures when we went to Ephesus that was kind of mind blowing. The stuff, interesting talking to Sam, he was saying, you know, we went to been fortunate, like many of you here perhaps, being fortunate enough to go to Rome, which is amazing. But in some ways, Ephesus is more incredible because you have these just incredible buildings and frontages and kind of, and you realize that what they've discovered is a tiny proportion of what was in these enormous places. And Sardis was like this. Sardis had a marble road, about one and a half kilometers wrong. <laughs> I mean, you've got Ralph Allen and there's potholes everywhere, aren't there, on this bit of tarmac? And we moan about it, but, but Sardis had a marble road. I mean, some people might have a marble worktop in their kitchen, which costs a lot. Mark knows about that. <laughs> we all know that about building projects, but this had a, mar- ma- a kilometre and a half marble road running from east to west. Incredible buildings, residences, gymnasiums, theatres, public bars, and this huge temple to Artemis. And overlooking the city, was this temple and a whole area the acropolis which was um like a fortress seemingly completely impregnable and it was it was called the impregnable it was impossible to get into this place and it gave the city this sense of security no one can beat us no one can take us We're totally defendable on all sides if attacked all the citizens of the town would get into this impregnable fortress and would stay there and it would be a complete safe haven There was only one way to attack this fortress. It was a very narrow path, only wide enough for one person to get into. uh, And it it was hidden, this path. It was a hidden path, and it was single track. And it could easily be guarded, be guarded effectively by one person who could raise an alarm if they saw someone coming up this path. One lookout was enough to protect the whole of the city. And history shows this city, Sardis – sorry for those of you that aren't history buffs, I find it fascinating – history shows that this city was only actually taken effectively on two separate occasions and actually one of those occasions interestingly was when the lookout fell asleep and the city got taken isn't that interesting this is a city that knows what it is to lose everything when someone falls asleep Um, eventually the romans took over the city as they did all across that whole region and a church was founded there Um, By the first century AD, so 100 years um, after Jesus was born, um, Sardis had got 120,000 people living it. So bigger than Bath, this incredibly wealthy, kind of financially flourishing city, successful on every every side. In fact, it's interesting, AD 17, so Jesus would have been, you know, uh, late teens. There was a massive earthquake that struck the whole region and destroyed 12 cities around that whole area. And Sardis was really, really badly badly hit. Uh, but it refused help from Rome, whereas everyone else looked to Rome to find out. Since they said, no, we can rebuild it ourselves with our own wealth. We don't need help from anyone outside. Self-sufficient. We can do it on our own. We can stand on our own. We don't need anyone to help us. We've got this, we've got this reputation to uphold. Self-sufficiency and wealth. We can do it all. So here's a city founded on money, but also on pride, wealth, complacency. So how does the church of Jesus survive in a city like this? And isn't it interesting how the complacency and culture of a place can so, in, so subtly begin to work its way into the church? And that's seemingly what happened in Sardis. So how's the church doing? They've been planted and f- you know, for a few years and Jesus is writing this letter to this fledgling young church which is growing and thriving seemingly. If you've been tracking with us over the other letters we've been going through, um, each of the seven letters in Revelation to different churches follows actually a very similar structure. Um, After an initial kind of uh, address, often reflecting who's the writer, Jesus, and the attributes of Jesus, there are usually five sections. There's an approval, you're doing this well. There's an accusation, I've got this against you. There's some advice, this is what you need to do. And then there's appeal. You know, I really, the heart of Jesus saying, I long for you, to respond to this you really need to hear this cry and then an assurance and if you do this will be the wonderful fruit this is the promise for you for those that are obedient but interestingly in there are two letters where there are no words of approval laodicea which will come to and sardis there's no kind of like hey guys you're doing this really well but i hold this against you and jesus is straight into them jesus starts with this devastating open rebuke and accusation i know your deeds says jesus and 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 you have a reputation of being alive but you're dead wake up straight in to challenge them um this this time unlike previous ones we looked at there's not so much doctrinal issues that are at the heart of what's going on um there's not external pressure Paul spoke brilliantly about the challenge of persecution and the, the challenges that can come and last week we thought about that and the actual Persecution that had come against the church, and how they needed to resist that and to stand against the temptation of the kind of the, the kind of spirit of the age. It's not so much external stuff here that Jesus is challenging; it's the internal things that are going on. They were comfortable, they were content, they were living on perhaps their reputation rather than reality. You think you're alive, but you're not. You think you're fine, but you're not. Says Jesus, like the guard in the history of this city. They've started to fall asleep. Maybe they've become apathetic. Maybe they've just become used to their culture and it's beginning to affect them. They might have been very busy with lots of activity, but there wasn't a spiritual reality, no substance spiritually to go with it. So What they were doing seemed good in the eyes of men, but not in the sight of God. And what was remained, Jesus saying, what's still there is just about to go out. It's like a flickering little candle. I don't know if you've ever tried lighting a fire and, and you know you get to the point and, and it just starts flickering you think this thing's going to go out and you try and do everything you can and, and there's a moment isn't there that you can get it to f- kind of flare into life again or you miss the moment and the fire goes out and Jesus is saying this is the moment for this church you're at risk of losing it all of your flame going out but there is hope there is hope the future's under threat and Jesus comes to them and said look you know You need to listen so there are five commands five things that he he says and I'm going to very very quickly go through these five commands five refrains in a sense that he's speaking pleading the church at Sardis and I think speaking to us today as well the first one is wake up wake up Jesus says wake up from your slumber realize what's going on in you and realize what's going on around you in the culture around you and how it's affecting you and, and recognising your own, own heart as well. Don't be so quick to point the finger out there. I remember, you know, I think it was Paul, who I first heard it, Paul Wakeley said, The problem out there is the problem in here. It's so often true, isn't it? We're so quick to blame others. We're so quick to point the finger. We're so quick to judge what's out there. But if we're really honest, this is where so many of the problems are, in our own hearts and actually, if we're prepared to sort this out, then actually our vision changes. And the way we see things changes so much. And Jesus is saying, wake up. That's the first thing you've got to do before, before you can do anything else. Just wake up. Wake up spiritually. Wake up with your vision. And when you've done that, you can move on to the next stage, which is what Jesus says. Strengthen what you have that is still alive. It's like Jesus saying, that there's a flicker of flame there. But if you just do nothing, it's going to go out. But if you become aware of the challenge and, and take action, then you can bring life. Don't let it die out. Don't let the flame disappear. You can revive it. And God's, work, God's spirit is there to help us in that process. Wake up. Strengthen what you have. I wonder what that looks like for us as church. Well, I think that is about being in community. It's about worshipping together. It's about maybe joining a small group. It's about having a prayer triplet. It's, it's, it's connecting with others, but it's also our own journey. Praying, reading the Bible. You know, my daily prayer at the moment is, Jesus, will you fill me with your spirit? I need more of your spirit to get through the day. I need more of your spirit to be a better husband, to be a better father, to be more gracious, to be more kind. I need more of your spirit so the fruit in my life bubbles out. Strengthen what you have, Jesus says and the third command is remember we did a bit of that in the worship didn't we remembering is so helpful to recall where God has blessed us to recall the good things that God's done in life because when we do that our faith is raised instead of being kind of pushed down by the prevailing culture and the media and the kind of doom and gloom all and the voices of pain and doom and gloom all around us we remember God's faithfulness in our own lives in our own journey and we have hope for our future Jesus said that to the church in Ephesus, didn't he? Remember your first love. We need to remember the gospel that saved us. We need to remember the words of encouragement, the prophetic words that have been spoken in our lives. We need to remember the the promises that God has spoken through his word over us. As we read the word, we remember God's promises to us. I was preaching this morning at 8am, the promise of the Holy Spirit, John 14. He says, I'm not going to leave you as orphans, says Jesus. to this bewildered bunch of disciples who are confused, scared, thinking, what have we done? We've gone to follow this Jesus man. We've left our careers. We've left our families. We've left our lives. And, and now he's talking about going. And where's he going? And there's something going on with death and being broken and so many confused questions. And Jesus says, I promise I'm not going to leave you as orphans. If you feel like alone... If you feel like you're an orphan, the good, good Father is there for you, and He promises you His Holy Spirit. We need to remember the promises that Jesus has made. So we wake up, we strengthen what we have, we b- we breathe and ask God to breathe light and breath into the, f- the flickering flame to r- create a roar within us. We remember God's goodness to give us hope for our future, and then there are two really key Im- key ingredients. And we've done a bit of this this morning, helpfully with Mark. Repent and obey you know repenting is so keen so key And, and repentance isn't just about saying sorry for things and regretting them but it's about turning around and facing a different way it's about turning from our brokenness from our mistakes and turning to jesus and the church in these days we need to do that we need to turn back to jesus that sounds crazy that the church needs to do that but i believe the church needs to we've been busy doing stuff some of it good We've been busy being keen and active, and, but have we actually been doing what he's asked us to do? And have we been doing it in his name and for his glory? Well, where we haven't, we need to repent and turn towards him. And then we need to obey. Jesus said, whoever hears these words of mine and puts them into action is like a man who builds his house on a rock. So we don't want to just hear. We need to put them into action. We need to obey them. As Jesus is saying to the church, repent and obey what you once did. Follow the way that you once did, the way that you know is right. So wake up, strengthen what remains. Remember what you once had in Christ. Remember what he's done for you and repent and obey. And if you don't, there's serious consequences, Jesus says. It's not kind of like he's holding a, a hammer over them, but he's saying you need to understand the choices you make now has eternal consequences the choices you make now has real consequences not just for today but for your future life your future selves and Jesus is watching to see what this church in Sardis does and if he knew that if they ignored him if they carried on just living in their bubble in their dream world just enjoying culture and kind of having Jesus a bit on the side then actually everything's going to be lost and how did they respond it is interesting to look at history I think perhaps they responded for a while but by the fourth century the church in sardis had completely disappeared completely gone what jesus talked about happened there's just ruins there now and the church is no more but the church you know there is good news in that letter because jesus says for those who are faithful the church can be rebuilt there's a, a glorious promise for those who look to him and as i kind of thought about this church today i I was was kind of loads of stuff in scripture kind of came to mind i was reminded in luke 9 the story of the transfiguration you know this incredible moment where they're up the mountain and jesus becomes like like he's on a personal automatic advert and all his clothes become shiny and white one of the translations one of the gospels says the whitest white that anyone had ever seen kind of thing so there's this moment of glorious transfiguration but in Luke 9, there's a fascinating verse. It says this, Peter and his companions were very sleepy. But when they became fully awake, they saw his glory. Isn't that interesting? They were there, but they were sleepy. They were with Jesus, who was magnificent and glorious and full of wonder and miracles. And, I mean, they were with him. And I don't know about you, I think if I was with Jesus, I would be wide-eyed and glorious the whole time. But actually, human nature isn't always that. Peter and his companions were very sleepy. Obviously, that's a physical thing. But don't you think that's often true for us spiritually as well? Just a bit sleepy. You know, we're there with Jesus. And if someone said, do you love Jesus? Are you following him? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I go to church. I sing some songs. I, I read the Bible. But we can have this slight numbness in our spiritual journey sometimes. They were just very sleepy. But when they became fully awake... Then they saw his glory. You can be very sleepy with Jesus or you can be fully awake and see the wonder of his glory. I know which I would rather. I wonder why sometimes I just become sleepy. Well, I think the God of this age blinds the eyes of unbelievers and, you know, the devil, he likes to kill, steal and destroy. And he likes to kind of hold us back and hold us down and make us very busy, which makes us perhaps a bit sleepy. Or make us really content so we lose our sharpness and our edge or just kind of help us to become a bit ap- apathetic or maybe disappointed with God. Past wounds or past things can affect our faith and we become disappointed or angry with God. And so we back away a bit and we become a bit more sleepy on the inside. But Jesus wants his disciples to be fully awake so that we can truly see his glory. It's like... um. There's a, 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 it's a particularly British word, is it? It's the word "fug." I have to be very careful I say that. "Fug." Do you know what I mean by when I say that word? Some of you will have heard that word. Some of you won't. Thug, "Fug." "Fug." It, it's like um, a stifle, It's like being in a poorly ventilated room. You might be feeling it this morning. It's w- have you ever been in a lecture? Or it's, some of you will definitely know this as students, where you're in a really warm room. There's not a lot of air moving around and a person at the front just talking like this, and you know, in the same monotone voice. And, bef- and, you, and you feel your eyes going. I can remember, funny is I can remember being in a French lecturer at university, massive thing. And I was fighting, and I was literally sitting at the back like this, trying to hold my eyes open. And it was like this overwhelming fatigue and tiredness came on me, because there was no air in the room. It was hot and stuffy, and you just feel yourself going. Some of you may have experienced that this morning as I'm speaking. It's like a fog, that's the word. And it's like this kind of fog that kind of goes, and spiritually, you know what, sometimes we get like that. We just, we sort of bumble through our spiritual journey with Jesus, and I don't think he wants us to be that way. We need to become fully awake. We need to wake up, and the way you wake up is you get up and you shake yourself off, or you open a window and you let the air in, or you throw (laughs) some water over yourself. You need to kind of wake up, in order to see his glory and walk in the way and i think there's a danger in western christianity where everything is quite easy and everything is quite nice church is nice people are nice the sofas are nice the coffee's nice the vicar is relatively nice the music's nice the buildings are nice and the heating's lovely you know uh, 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 and it's not that any of those things are wrong or sinful but it kind of creates an atmosphere that's just kind of nice Maybe we lose some of our sharpness about what it's all about. None of those things are wrong, but we're here because of Jesus. And, and he calls us to something more than just niceness. He calls us to this wonderful encounter where we see him in all his glory. And then we're inspired to go out into the world. And the danger is sometimes we just become very busy doing stuff, which ironically makes us more tired sometimes and overwhelmed. And we can look busy there was a, a, someone sent me a card a few years ago, it's going, I've seen it doing around on posters, saying, um, Jesus is coming back, look busy. Have You seen that one? And we laugh at it, ho, ho, ho. But actually, I think sometimes that's what we get like in the church. Oh, Je- Jesus might be looking, I better look busy and try and be good. Whereas activism in the place of intimacy ends up killing our souls. We weren't, Jesus did not make you For busyness. He made you for relationship with one another and with him. He created you for intimacy with God, to know the Father's love, to uh, encounter Jesus as your Lord, your savior, your brother, your friend, and to experience the presence of the Holy Spirit alongside you. Activism, busyness, can never replace true intimacy with Jesus. Jeremiah 2 13 says this My people have committed two sins. They've forsaken me, the spring of living water and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. We can sometimes get by with our wealth and our comfortable living, and we have Jesus compartmentalised because it's a nice thing to have and we recognise he's important, but then we look to ourselves. This is what they did in Sardis, their wealth, their comfort, their strength, their reputation, their history, but they moved away from Jesus, and that is not living water that sustains you. You become exhausted. Matthew 26, 14. And he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping couldn't you keep watch with me for one hour he asked peter (laughs) poor peter he'd to spend a lot of the gospel just sleeping really didn't he and maybe we know what that feels like and jesus at this moment of crisis in gethsemane he knows they're all under massive pressure and he says to the disciples will you pray for me will you pray with me will you stand with me And he goes off and we know he sweats blood and and goes through all that torment. And he goes back to the disciples and he finds them asleep. And I don't think he kicked them. (laughs) I don't think he shouted at them. Oi, wake up! I don't think he played Ravelli music to give them all a heart attack. I think he just looked at them sadly. Could you not stay awake for me, with me? I think he looks at us in the same way. I feel that call of Jesus last verse in Romans 13, 7 to 12. I haven't got time to look at it all, but in verse 11 11 it says this, the day is near. Do this, understand the present time. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber, because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over, the day is almost here. There's a call in Romans 12 to kind of call to holiness, uh, Romans 13, a call to holiness, a call to to wake up and recognise the crisis and the challenge in the days that we live. Jesus is returning, he's coming back. And I don't know when that is, I, I think it's soon. The truth, or is definitely, the truth is it's definitely sooner than it was yesterday. We're definitely a day closer to it than we were yesterday. We're a week closer to it than we were a week ago. Jesus is coming back and he doesn't want us to look busy, but he wants us to be awake. He wants to come back and find a bride that's awake with lit lanterns and hearts that are anticipating his glory. And it's not like God's beating us over the head like a teenager trying to drag us out of bed. He's trying to woo us with his love and say, I want you to experience my glory. Because when you experience my glory, then sleeping is not going to be a problem because you'll be fully awake in your heart and lives. So we're going to finish. I'm going to pray for us that, that, that we can respond not just now, uh, may, maybe you'll find it helpful to stand in a minute and kind of wake up but we'll do that with some worship but i want us to respond in our lives daily from this point going forward again to recommit say lord will you wake me up where i need waking up where i feel like i'm a bit of a dream state sometimes i mean i sometimes feel this when i look at the news when it's so overwhelming you know when you get numb to it you get numb to the deaths in ukraine You get numb to the deaths of Russian soldiers. You get numb to another story of kind of a stabbing. You can become numb to that stuff. That's awful. And sometimes I'm, Lord, I need to wake up to the reality in the days I'm living in for the darkness and the sin that is around me. Not so that I'm overwhelmed by it, but that I can look to you in it. That I can find you. That I can pray more. That I can be more active. That I can be more passionate about the crisis facing the church in the nation that I can respond to the challenges around me, not to feel overwhelmed and useless, but to feel like, Lord, my voice matters. How can I respond wisely? What can I do? And most importantly, in my own heart journey, Lord, would you wake me up where I've stepped back from you through shame or busyness or fatigue or apathy? We've all got challenges, perhaps, that have caused us at times to feel asleep spiritually. But these are days I believe that God wants to wake us up. I'm going to invite the band to come up. And um, I'd like to just take a moment to pray for us. So why don't we all bow our head, close our eyes. I promise I won't play any loud music again. It is strangely warm in here now, (laughs) actually. And you may be feeling sleepy physically. And for some of you, maybe that's because you need more sleep. It's that simple. Lord, we confess at times we drive ourselves too hard, whether it's in work or study or life, whether we drive ourselves becoming more anxious about things than we should and we we weary ourselves with worry. Jesus, you want us to be at peace. But we can be at peace and fully awake. And in these days, Lord, you're wanting to revive your people, to revive your church, to revive us in worship, to revive us in prayer, to revive a passion for reading your word, not out of duty or obligation or of a must, but out of a sense of love for you because we've experienced you in all your goodness and glory and the wonder of who you are. We're reminded of that and we long for those days again to taste and see that you are good, to experience your mercy, to experience your living waters. And we confess, Lord, and we repent, and we recognise in our own lives sometimes we have dug our own cisterns—that image of looking to provide our own resources—and whether that's our pension plan, or our, uh, our our experience, or our skills, or our gifts. Whether it's the places of influence that we find ourselves in, whether it's our past, whether it's our title, whether it's money or who who we are. Lord, we look to other things to resource us at times when we should be looking to you. Not because those things are bad in themselves, but Jesus, you're supposed to be our first port of call. You're supposed to be the one on the throne of our hearts. So we say we're sorry, Lord, when we become self-sufficient like Sardis did when they don't acknowledge help from outsiders and others, where they didn't, Lord, we're sorry that we don't look to you and to those you provide for us. We repent and say, we're sorry, Lord. We don't want to dig our own cisterns. We want to rely on your living water to refresh us and wake us up. Jesus, thank you that your living water, as you said to the woman at the well, is something that bubbles up within and it it doesn't run out like human water. It sustains, it nourishes, it feeds, and it energizes so jesus we look to you breathe on us breath of god like in the valley of the the, dry bones it needed your breath to fill those bones and those bodies to make them come alive holy spirit would you breathe on us jesus just as you did in the upper room breathing on those trembling fearful uncertain disciples and you gave them life in their lungs and you sent them out i pray that we your church might wake up together but also individually with eyes and hearts set on fire for you again, Jesus, to walk in your ways, to be obedient to you, to bring you joy and glory in all we do and say and are. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's just close with some worship. And if anyone senses anything prophetically or just want some prayer, come and grab Mark and we'll share.